Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect Pacific Northwest authors with new listeners and provide advice for inspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today we have a special treat because we've extended the podcast out just a little bit to the West. And we have, um, and I'm going to say your name wrong, Steve. So Steve, tell us your last name. (laughs) (laughs) My last name is Robbie, R-A-A-B-E. Awesome. Steve Robbie. So apologize for that. You even told me what your last name was and I still can't get it right. So, so Steve Robbie has um, been introduced to me and we'll talk about that connection from one of the other authors we've had on the podcast. But Steve, why don't you jump in and share with us what state in the West you live in? And, um, if, and I know your story a little bit because I did some reading, but share with our listeners what your day job was prior to becoming an author. All right. Well, I live um, in the heart of the Golden West, the state of Nevada. That's my home state. And I am a retired Nevada state trooper. So I spent a good portion of my life uh, driving and patrolling uh, the rural parts of Nevada, um, as well as the city. I did spend some time in the city, but that is my uh, prior career. And I'm retired from that. Well, thank you so much for your years of service. I know that when um, we have officers coming out of the patrol and police officers, it's it's a great thing when they can come out and be safe. <laughs> so thank you so much for your service. Um, You're welcome. And um, so there's another little tidbit that connects you and I that you might not, you don't know this about us, but as I was doing our research, you you also spent some time in Arizona and Yuma. Am I correct? Yes, yes, I do. I, I go that when it gets snowy in uh, northern Nevada, I head south. Ah, you're a snowbird. I get it. <laughs> I had 20, 20 some years of driving highway patrol cars in the snow and ice. So I, I don't like shoveling anything anymore. So we, oh, we head south. Yuma. Okay. A man after my heart. I hate the snow. <laughs> I live in the Northwest and luckily we get very mild amount of snow, but what little bit we get, I'm like, I'm out of here. I hate this. But the thing that we share, and I don't know if you'll know this area. Um, I was raised in Globe, Miami, Arizona. So that's east of Phoenix. So do you know that little yeah. mining town? I do. I do. I've been there before. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah not much left there. But um, I was born there and my parents actually um, moved here to Washington when I was about 18 months old. So I claim to be a Washingtonian, um, but I have had family back there. and I've been back um, often. Love Arizona. My husband adores Arizona, but I don't think you can get me to live there full time. It's too warm. <laughs> It is a little warm. It is a little, yeah, yes, and Yuma's uh, among the warmest. It is, but it's beautiful there, isn't it? I love Yuma. <laughs> it is, and that's why I'm in Nevada, my my home state, this time of year. I have grandchildren, and uh, and it's too hot down there. So here we yeah. are. Yeah, and so um, Steve was telling me a little bit, listeners, about what he does is he actually travels and he's and he's working on promoting his book and he's retired. So we all know if you listen to my podcast very much, you know that's my ultimate dream is to retire and take, go see grandbabies and take care of grandkids. <laughs> so you're living my dream, Steve. <laughs> very good. It's great. I have 10 of them, 10 grandchildren, uh, and uh, they were kind of the inspiration for my book, actually. 
Awesome. Well, we'll get to the title of the book and a little bit about that. And I love you have 10 grandkids. That's awesome. Um, so tell what I like to have the authors do as part of the introduction too. And this is kind of the, the tricky question that gets everybody stumped. So it's okay if you're stumped. Um, but what else would, what would you like the readers to know about you? If they don't know anything about you, what's one thing you like them to know about you up front? Oh boy. Um, geez. Um, that is a stumped one <laughs> up front. I'd have to say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very honest and sometimes to my detriment. <laughs> I understand that. I am too. <laughs> and I call things like I see them. Nobody ever has to guess what's on my mind. And, and I don't know if that's a plus or a negative, but that that's me. Hey, you're a kindred spirit with me. I'm the same way. Nobody ever has to guess <laughs> what I'm thinking. <laughs> it has caused me some trouble in the past. <laughs> oh, yes. Me too. Me too. Well, let's jump in about the, the actual, your book, and let's start out with um, the publishing aspect of it, because that is how Steve and I have been introduced, is through his publishing. So, Steve, tell us the title of your book and um, how you're published. And I think people will recognize the, that scenario there. All right. Well, the, the title of my book is Patrolling the Heart of the West, True Tales of a Nevada State Trooper. And I am published through Latob Books um, in Spokane, Washington. And my publisher is John Gosh. Uh, and John was my editor as well. And oh, uh, just... Nice. His own publishing company, and and he's just been fantastic to work with for the last year and a half. We have, I don't know how many emails have passed between us and phone calls, but he's he's just wonderful. And and this book, my book, would not be what it is today without him. Oh, I love to hear that. So for the listeners, if you've been keeping up with the podcast, we had John's episode came out. Um, it came out actually on Monday, at, but I record. So it's already out on the website. John is a fabulous author too. I actually am just finishing up his book, um, Deep Rise, um, Deep, Deep Fire Rise, and I love it. And he's also from my area in Longview. So Washington. So we have a lot of connections. So John was gracious enough to um, talk to his authors on his publishing company and say, hey, get on the podcast with Vicki. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> so, so. so Steve, tell us a little bit um, about... I'm going to rabbit trail a little bit differently from most of our podcasts because um, lots of books, Steve kind of went into a little bit about that, but tell us why and your, your course of action of going with a publishing house. Did you think about self-publishing at any point or did you just find um, Steve, um, sorry, John and jump in all that way? Is that how you did it? I took a class about four years ago on uh, writing your life story and I do something different. So I, I had diaries from my highway patrol stories for all these years. We were required to keep diaries. I started writing years just as a hobby for my grandchildren. And one day I was looking at, I was at a, a craft fair and I saw a man selling a book and the book was very good looking. And I asked him where it came from. And he told me it came from gray dog press. Mm -hmm. can. So I contacted, I contacted Russ, the owner, and I said, look, I, I've written these stories. Maybe it could be a book. I bought a self-editing program on the computer and spent six months going through all of my stories. Hmm. And he went, 
he went, oh, that's nice. That's real nice. (laughs) (laughs) But you need a person. You need an honest God person to edit your books, not a computer. And he put me in touch with John. Uh, John edited my book. We worked together for quite a long time. And about the time I'm getting ready to publish or look for a publisher, and and I really thought I would self-publish like most people do in, in my situation, uh, John said, I'm starting my own publishing company as well as he's a great author. I loved his book as well. He is a great author. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just worked out that I needed a publisher and he needed books for his publishing company. So, so we, we have formed a, a great partnership, kind of a vanity publishing, you know, he's, he's very generous. Uh, I, I keep a lot of my rights and a lot of my royalties and, and I certainly want him to be paid for his work. So it's just, it's just been a great, a great combination, a great partnership, and I, I just adore the adore the man. He's he's wonderful. Well, I feel super fortunate too that uh, John landed my way as well, um, because he already has been inspirational to me. So, John, if you're listening to this, you probably haven't heard this yet, but <laughs> just through his emails, you know, he's not doing any editing work for me or anything, but just his emails of encouragement have been fantastic. So, I can imagine that the editing process with him was very insightful. Take me on a journey of what it's like to have an editor because I haven't hired anybody yet for my work. And um, kind of tell me some tips if you have any for working with an editor. We know John's fantastic, but if you didn't have a relationship with him, you know, it, it might not have gone so well. So give me some tips. Well, even, even with John, I, I found that, uh, well, first of all, I sent him uh, five of my stories, the first five, and he came back with, Certainly, he doesn't make the corrections. He recommends the corrections off to the side in red ink with an arrow to, to the... And it looked like my... Being a highway patrolman, it looked like my my stories had been in a terrible accident. They were more red than black. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, and I fixed most everything. But once in a while, he made a recommendation, especially in my wording or sentencing, that I, I didn't want to make. For, you know, I wanted to keep my own personality in there sometimes. And uh, so, not that his... Not that his ideas were not good they were but just i could see where sometimes i would lose my personality mm-hmm. by following his recommendation yeah. um, not very often because he was very good and uh, every once in a while um so i guess that was probably my experience with editing is is was a lot of work i mean he was he just made i, I was a king of the comma um, <laughs> the, the, the king of the unwanted comma the king of the run-on sentence or four sentences to describe what I could describe in one. So the, the other thing was, is, is when I was forced to go back and make my own corrections and fix my own mistakes, it made me a lot better those mistakes now. And I, I don't, I don't do them. It's amazing. You I can read it. your whole life, read your whole life. And like, I have always been an avid reader and, and my paragraphs didn't look anything like a book should look. So, so um, it's, it's, it's been fun, but it's, it's been a, a learning experience to have it, uh, an editor correct your work and help you to, to make your work better. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for sharing that story with me because I'm terrified, honestly, and I do a lot of writing in my professional life and a lot of work, you know, in, in having other people review my work for work and all that kind of thing. But I'm terrified of getting an editor for my own personal work. Um, so you just put me at ease that it's okay and there's going to be some work and it's not going to kill me, right? So, so very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. 
So here's a, a thing that uh, most authors and I talk about, and it's something that I think you will you have probably discovered as you started out at, with your book is the marketing. Um, it seems like no matter what kind of publishing situation you go self-publishing or you work with a wonderful house like you are, there's a lot of marketing for the author yourself. So tell us kind of what you're doing or if you have any great tips to share with me, I'd love to hear them. Oh, goodness. Well, I started uh, when I knew my book was coming out, I went to Facebook and I have, have, of course, all my friends and family and then I belong to a couple of groups like the Nevada law enforcement officers group or Nevada Highway patrol group. So I, uh, I started there and I announced to my book that it was available. I also at the um, suggestion of John built my own website on Wix.com mm-hmm. so that people could order books directly from me and I can autograph, sign them and send them out directly as opposed to, um, you know, amazon.com or wherever, whatever source there might be 150 already in the last five weeks. Oh, that's fantastic. my own website. Hey, that's <laughs> really, really good. Yeah. dot com. Okay. Let's I'll make see. sure that's what, in the show notes. Yeah, cool. Uh, today, I was actually, I was at Barnes & Noble in Reno and met with the manager there. Um, he was seemed excited, but he's going to get back to me on, uh, they, they have an author day where they had bring in 10 authors around Christmas time and station them in different parts of the store. Mm-hmm. So things like that, getting out and making contacts and showing people my book and bookstores, museums, anywhere I can stop. That's what I've been doing the last two weeks in Northern Nevada, which is my home in which these stories are based in Northern Nevada. So, mm-hmm. And going on podcasts when you're asked. <laughs> podcasts when you're asked. And thank yes. you so much for stretching uh, down to the, to the central part of the West to, to to pick me up. I appreciate it. Oh, well, I have a soft spot for, uh, for, um, officers. I don't have any particular officers in my family, but I have extended family members and good friends that are police officers and state patrol. So I have a very fond, fond spot for this, (laughs) for your stories and I will be reading them. So you guarantee that. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about a writing support group for you. I know you have John as your editor, but are you a part of any other um, type of support group as you're working through the idea of putting these books out? And if so, share with me a little bit about um, how that experience is of having support groups. Wow. Well, I actually don't have, my wife is my support group. Well, that's and, the best uh, one, God, right? <laughs> yeah. God bless her. I'm at the computer and she's talking in the back of my head for the last several years. So a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> um, I, get, I think for me, it was probably easier because I'm writing true stories of, mm-hmm. of events that I, they're my true stories. And, and they're, the book is a, is a book of short stories, true stories of the 30,000, 40,000 contacts with people I made on the highway patrol. Um, these are the stories I could not forget, you know, sad, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. funny, um, traffic stops, accidents, those types of situations. So I think, um, you know, writing nonfiction as opposed to fiction, I think fiction would be very difficult for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the only book I've written and I, I'd like to try some other areas. Um, I guess, I guess I don't have a support group per se. As far as writing goes, I, I probably should find one. 
help. <laughs> well, there's a lot of them online. It sounds like you're doing a lot of traveling. So probably um, staying in one spot and having a group is really challenging, but there's a ton of them online. And in almost all my podcasts, if you go back, um, listeners and Steve, I put show notes. So anytime an author suggests a online group, I try to get it up there so everybody can go find them and see if it works out for them too. So I didn't have a support group either. And I just said, well, I need one. So I started asking around people I didn't even know if they were authors. And I found out a few were authors in my area and I started my own group. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's been very helpful for me, at least to keep me going. <laughs> yeah, I do travel quite a bit at this stage of my life. So it's, it would be hard to, to, I'd have to do something online, I'm sure. Yeah, there's some great ones. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to put these stories out. And so this is going to be a twofold. That's the first part of the question. My second part of the question came up um, as you were talking about the stories. So the first question is what inspired you to put this book out in particular? And second, how did you go about um, with privacy of the people that you had, you know, had helped and been involved with take me through the process of writing in a way that doesn't um, share too much information. That's personal. Well, those are great questions. I, I started as um, like, say I took that class at the college on writing your life story. And I, my, my main objective at first was just as a hobby to write some of these short stories of track stops and events that happened to me during my career or for my grandchildren, just kind of a historical family, historical and hobby. It just started as a hobby of, of writing them down. And I must have, I probably took over two years to write 50 or 60 stories. And as I got a lot of them together, I went, Hmm, I wonder if this could be a book. Mm-hmm. So, so it, my stories becoming a book was kind of a, a evolution, evolutionary thing, an accident, if, if nothing else. And, um, once I started working towards the books, uh, being, being written or, or my stories put together as a book, uh, it just came together. Um, so I, I think that's, that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I was it's the okay. second part of your question was... Well, the second part of the question that I have is, because um, you have, obviously, you started with your journal while, while you were out patrolling, and you can't use names and, and some personal uh, information. How do you handle that in your stories and as an author so that you still keep very incredible information, but you're not infringing in other people's personal lives? Well, a lot of my story, a lot of the names in my story, co-workers, the, uh, they are named in the story. They're, they're named in a positive light. Um, as far as what I found is most stories I had, the names really didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would relay or, or write about an incident as opposed to a person. When I did use names of people I'd arrested or, or dealt with, I just made up names to tell you the truth. Oh yeah, that works, <laughs> so, right? <laughs> yes, there's a lot of there's several made up names in the book when it comes to people that, that wouldn't want their name in the book. Uh, every, all those are fictitious uh, yeah. as far as people I dealt with, but but as far as my coworkers and other highway patrolmen, although those names are are accurate. And I, do they love the fact that they're in your book? <laughs> are they excited yeah. about it? <laughs> Everybody has a story to tell. So I, I thought my biggest critics would be police officers and my coworkers, but my book has been really uh, very well received by highway patrolmen. I was just at a friend's house the other day and he bought 12, 12 of my books into his sister in Pittsburgh and his aunt in wherever. I, I mean, I, so, so most of my fellow state troopers are, are really tickled with, 
with my book and they said, Oh, we were going to write a book too, but we just never did it. So I was, I'm one of the few that, that actually pulled it off, I guess. Well, maybe you'll inspire them too. Right. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I love it. That that's really great. Um, and that's the part about memoirs or, um, that part of writing for me is, is the idea of how you wrap around your perspective of life and growing up and things you've seen and how you orchestrate that in a, an, in a way of integrity and, and not hurt people's feelings. <laughs> so, so good. So let's get into your story. So you were telling me about your title. So share with the readers a little bit what you were telling me about um, the title of Patrolling the Heart of the West and why you chose it. And then why don't you go ahead and go into the reading and share with us the reading. And I'm going to go pause and, and just listen to you. All right. Well, in Nevada, uh, my book is titled Patrolling the Heart of the West. Uh, Nevada is pretty much dead center. So um, that's how I arrived at the title. Again, it's a book of short stories, and I've selected two here. These are my stories, and they are, there's no big major crimes. None of these stories really um, amounted to anything that, uh, that made the news, but these are just day-to-day events that I, that I experienced as a state trooper. And the first one is called Just a Hitchhiker. I arrived at the vehicle rollover on Interstate 80 at 2318 hours. 42 minutes before the end of my shift at midnight. It had been a typical May evening. I had made a few traffic stops, but no accidents to investigate until now. The accident occurred just west of Winnemucca on the eastbound side of the highway. It was reported that the vehicle had been abandoned and no one was at the scene. The only vehicle involved was a blue Chevrolet pickup with a camper shell atop the bed, completely filled with stuff. The marks on the highway indicated a typical off-road, overcorrected rollover accident. The Chevy had damage to both sides and the top. After rolling, it had come off the roadway and landed on its wheels in the dirt. It was dark and no one was around. No driver, no witness, not a soul. Just me in a wrecked truck with California license plates. I asked Elko Dispatch to contact the Winnemucca Hospital and find out if anyone might have come in for treatment. The answer was no. I began thinking this was probably the result result of another drunk driver who'd wrecked their pickup and walked away so that they wouldn't be arrested. I had been there about five minutes when I heard moaning coming from the camper shell. The items inside started moving and the moaning got louder. I heard someone say, help me, help me get out. I lifted up the back door to the camper and saw a man's face sticking out of the jumble of mess in the back. What happened? He asked. I was about to ask you the same question. I said, I don't know, he replied. I was hitchhiking in Reno, and this guy picked me up and let me ride in the back of the camper. Where is this guy, I asked. I don't know anything about him. I was riding in the back, and I guess we were in an accident. I hit my head and just woke up and called for help. Maybe he caught a ride or walked into town to notify the police. I didn't see anybody walking into town as I drove out, I said. I just woke up, and I don't know how long we've been here, he added. Do you need to go to the hospital, I asked. Yes, I think I should be checked out. Do you have identification on you? No, he said, I don't have any identification. I asked him his name, date of birth, and his social security number, and wrote down the information he gave me. He identified himself as Jeffrey Richards of Los Angeles, California. Is there anything in this truck that belongs to you, I asked. Just a backpack in the back, he replied. I opened the back of the camper, and there was a backpack within reach. That's it, he said. 
I grabbed the backpack and looked through it for weapons and identification. It contained nothing but clothes and toiletry items. Rather than call out the voluntary ambulance, I asked the Winnemucca police officer to pick up Mr. Richards and transport him to the hospital two miles away. After shipping Mr. Richards off to the hospital with the police, I called dispatch for vehicle registration information and to request a tow truck. Dispatch advised that the vehicle, a blue 1982 Chevrolet pickup, was registered to Donald Knight with an address in Yuba City, California. I completed my work at the scene, and as soon as the tow truck arrived, I left for the hospital. Mr. Richards had been checked out in the emergency room and released. Other than a few bumps and scrapes, he was just fine. There was still no contract for, or I'm, I'm sorry, there was still no contact from any driver. I couldn't hold Mr. Richards for anything, as it's not against the law to not have identification, so I asked him where he wanted to go. He said he would just get a room for the night and move on tomorrow. I offered to drive him to a motel, and he said that that would be great. As I approached the main part of town, he asked me to just drop him off at a casino, and he would get a room later. I pulled up to the front entrance of the Winner's Inn Casino, opened the door to my patrol car, said goodbye, and let him out. I made a right turn, drove about 100 feet, made a U-turn, and pulled into a large, dark parking lot. I turned off the lights and sat for a while with a great view of both the Winner's Inn front and side doors. Not five minutes later, I saw Mr. Richards walk out of the casino. As luck would have it, he walked to the same corner I had just turned right at, went down two blocks and into the office of one of, one of several motels located on that street. I watched as he spoke with the motel clerk, filled out paperwork, and was handed a key. He left the office, walked down to room 28 on the first floor, and closed the door behind him. I put my patrol car in front of the motel office and walked inside. Hello, I said to the clerk. There was a man who just registered for a room a few minutes ago. How did he pay for his room? He paid cash, the clerk said. Could I see the registration form he filled out, please, I asked. The clerk handed me the form. The clerk had just rented the room for one night to Mr. Donald Knight from Yuba City, California. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Bingo. I knew the man had no weapons, so I figured I could do this one alone. I knocked on the door, and Mr. Knight asked who it was. It's the motel clerk, I said. I need you to sign one more paper. I heard the door unlock. It opened slightly, and I helped open it the rest of the way. I had him in handcuffs in record time. Surprised, he asked, what is this all about? Well, Mr. Knight, you're under arrest for obstructing and delaying a peace officer in the performance of his duties, fraud for being treated at a hospital under a false name, failure to maintain a traveling, and anything else I can come up with. I just paid for this room, he said. I have a nice room for you at the jail, I told him. When I ran a driver's license check in California, under his real name, it his driver's license was suspended. He, had also, he also had several misdemeanor warrants, which couldn't be served in Nevada, but it still made for a fun night. Those names were made up, just so you know. Amazing that you have the intuition <laughs> to pull around and wait. You must have worked with a lot of people. <laughs> I did, I did, I did. Thousands and thousands. Great, Steve. Why don't you read the next story? I believe the title is Ba Ba Black Sheep. So I'll go quiet while you read the story, and I'll take us out at the end of the podcast. Baba Black Sheep. One summer morning, the center called me at home and advised of a commercial vehicle fire on Interstate 80 westbound near Golconda. The rig was reported as a cab over tractor, semi-trailer, and a pull trailer. Both trailers were loaded with several layers of live sheep. When the driver noticed that his overheated brakes had caused a fire in the rear trailer, he pulled to the side of the highway, ran back, and detached the burning trailer from the semi-trailer. 
After moving the tractor and semi-trailer farther down the highway, the truck driver ran back to the burning trailer and opened the doors in an effort to save the sheep. I arrived at this chaotic scene in the early pre-dawn hours. The pull trailer was still on fire and partially loaded with sheep. The sheep that had escaped the inferno, some of them partially burned, were running in and out of traffic. As the Golconda Fire Department fought the fire, I spent numerous 357 rounds shooting injured sheep. The morning turned into one big, ugly, sad mess. When the fire was under control and the situation calmed, my next task was to find a place to hold scores of loose sheep. I asked the truck driver to follow me to the fairgrounds in Winnemucca to unload the semi-trailer full of sheep. We would then place the sheep into the corrals and return with the empty trailer. It took an hour and a half to travel to Winnemucca, unload the sheep, and return. Upon returning to the scene, a Golconda fireman ran up to me and told me that a big fat ewe had been stolen. Allegedly, two men grabbed the ewe, tied its legs, and put it into the back of a red Chevy El Camino. The sun had been up for an hour, and the fireman pointed to a red Chevy traveling eastbound on Interstate 80. The El Camino was three miles east of our present location, climbing up Golconda Summit, and off I went in pursuit of the sheep bandits. Seven miles east of the accident scene, I stopped the El Camino. As I walked to the driver's door, I saw a nice fat ewe lying in the back of the truck. I wish I could have heard the conversation going on inside. Both men looked as if they'd been caught with their hands in a cookie jar. I asked the driver where they'd gotten the ewe, and he replied that they'd found it on the side of the highway. Didn't you see the dozens of other sheep with it, I asked. Both men shook their heads no. Sheep are a herd animal. When they're scared, they travel in a flock. Sheep on the outside of the crowd try their best to get to the center. The ones in the center of the crowd do their best to stay there. I asked the men if they planned on delivering the sheep to the lost and found at the sheriff's office. They didn't answer the question. These two were taking valuable time out of my already busy day. I explained to them that I didn't know how much a sheep cost. Under Nevada law, if the ewe was worth more than $100, they had committed a felony. If worth less than $100, they had committed a misdemeanor. I explained to them that if I were in their present dilemma, I would turn around and put the sheep right back where I got it. I followed the two sheep thieves back to the scene of the crime. They pulled to the side of the road, removed the ewe from the back of the truck, untied it, and gently pushed it toward the desert. After the ewe found its friends, the two men headed for their car. I asked the men where they were going, and they said they were late for work. I told the men that they were already at work. Not understanding my comment, one of them replied, We really are late for work. We should have been there by now. I explained to them that had they not stopped to steal a sheep, they wouldn't have been late. And I gave them two options. Option one, herd and catch sheep this morning. Or option two, go to jail for stealing sheep this morning. Either choice worked for me. Both men elected to chase, herd, and capture sheep. Not happy at all, they grumbled and complained until the job was done. What started as a sad situation ended with a laugh watching these two dummies running across the desert chasing a flock of sheep. I'm sure that those two men will never forget their short careers as sheep herders, nor will I. Bye. Oh, I love it so much. Thanks, Steve, for sharing your stories, and thank you for being here on the podcast. And one final note, podcast listeners, as we're heading into the month of October, I wanted to share with you an opportunity if you live in the lower Columbia region. The Laura Columbia College Salau Review is going to be accepting submissions for literary pieces in their um, version 19, which will come out in June 2019. So if you're interested and in, you're in participating and you live in the Laura Columbia region, check out the show notes. 
And if you're one of the lucky ones that gets a literary piece in the Salau Review, I'll have you on the podcast this summer. So stay in touch with me in social media. That's all for now. I hope you come back next week to listen to another author on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hoped you loved hearing from the author as much as we did. If you did enjoy the author, make sure you find them on social media. Buy their book and write a review. Are you a published author and would like to be featured on the podcast? Visit us at our website to learn more. You can help support the production of this podcast by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Share the podcast with your friends. And most importantly, become a supporter. Supporters receive monthly bonus podcasts and a newsletter filled with tips from our authors. To find out more how to become a supporter, visit our website. And finally, I hope you always remember to enjoy the journey. Until next week, this is Vicki J. Carter saying goodbye.